The biggest thing that I try to do is just be as transparent as possible, right? You're listening to Take It Personally, a podcast about the personal side of business and the art of standing out. When I think back on my first years of business ownership, it is a sea of Excel spreadsheets and paper contracts and taking checks by mail. And it worked for a while. But as someone who isn't particularly organized, I soon realized it was a bit risky to be hodgepodging everything together. I needed something that organized my clients in a way that made it easy for me to keep track of them and their projects and ideally save me some time. Dubsado has been my right-hand software ever since. Dubsado was my assistant before I could afford to hire an assistant, and even 10 years later as my team has grown, it continues to keep us organized and sane. It allows me to send and accept digital contracts, no printing or scanning, it's all done online, send invoices and receive payments faster than when I was receiving them by mail, and it integrates with so many other platforms that I use, like Google Calendar, so I never miss an appointment. One of my favorite Dubsado features is payment plans. This allows me to organize my monthly revenue so I have more consistent months of income, as opposed to some months that were super high and some months that were super low. Now I can spread out the payments, making it easier on my clients who receive automated reminders, and it's far more predictable for my monthly budgeting. I can also set up workflows to help clients prep for their sessions without me having to remember to send weekly emails. Honestly, when people ask me the one business tool I can't live without, it's Dubsado. If you're ready to uplevel the back end of your business and make your life a whole lot easier, you can head to dubsado.com and get 20% off your first month or year with the code Maddie Pishong. That's 20% off your first month or year with the code Maddie Pishong. Megan, thank you so much for joining me today on Take It Personally. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yes, I would love to start with just an introduction of who you are and what you do. Yeah, so I am a journalist. I've always been a writer and I kind of discovered the journalism path in college and uh, just really fell in love with it. I, I think for a while I wanted to be like a politician or some kind of like civic leader. And what I realized was that wasn't the best fit for my like personality and also my skill set. I figured I could make a more of a difference in my community as a journalist than I maybe could as a, you know, lawmaker or, or whatever. So I started my career at the um, Argus Leader newspaper in Sioux Falls. I worked a variety of jobs there, kind of the classic like cops and courts beat to start that sort of the, the way people get into journalism and then um, covered education. I worked as the editor for their watchdog team for about three years. And then I left to start my own business in the middle of a pandemic with a four-month-old. So, <laughs> you know, the, the usual classic thing that people do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so what like drew you to journalism in the first place? I think the biggest thing was really, it's really cheesy, but like the, what really did it was I took a class on like the history of, of news in, and journalism in, in the United States. And sort of like read about Watergate and like all of these, you know, like massive things that journalists have uncovered and how it's like changed, you know, 
the way we think about things or have been so pivotal in these big moments in history. And I thought, wow, what, like, what an amazing tool to be able to tell the stories of your community and like, you know, shine a light on corruption and all these big things. And I, I think there was just so much potential, right? Like thinking about what stories I could help tell that my favorite sort of aphorism in journalism is the um, afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. I think that that is like such a nice, <laughs> such a nice summary of what I like to do as a journalist is just, you know, let people know when it's going to be okay. And then let the people in power know that we're paying attention. Very cool. So did you like, okay, so I went just, I went to college for journalism too. And I have, I was interested in, for a lot of the same reasons that, that you're talking about. Um, and I just think journalism is such a powerful career choice and you and I are both Enneagram threes. (laughs) So I'm curious (laughs) if you like dreamt of being like the next Katie Couric or the next, you know what I mean? Like if you wanted to be like a foreign correspondent or, or has local media always been like the most interesting to you because you can affect so much change at home. Like what was kind of your dream? Like at the beginning? Yeah. It's, it's been an interesting evolution. I think when I was in college and you asked me about it, I'd be like, I will be Bob Woodward. Like I'm gonna <laughs> like make it to Washington and do these big, you know, I'll cover the president or whatever. Like, I think that dream dissolved pretty quickly when I got into working for the local paper and just sort of realizing South Dakota is a unique place to be a journalist because we have some of the worst open record laws in the country. So there's a lot of things that happen that the public doesn't know about and that the public can't know about because of the way our laws are structured. And so when we look at journalism from like an accountability standpoint of, you know, holding elected leaders accountable for what they say they're going to do, Uh, South Dakota is a really tricky place to do that. And I kind of, I started to kind of fall for the challenge of that. I really, it's really satisfying to be able to, to make a difference here and just to know that I can make a big difference here. So that's sort of where it kind of came full circle with it. Like there's a ton, a ton of reporters in Washington, DC, and like there's journalists, you know, all up and down the coast, but there aren't a lot of journalists in South Dakota. So like the work that I do is is really important. And I'm the only one doing it or, you know, the handful of journalists here are, you know, the only ones doing it. So that's kind of cool. That's really interesting. I didn't know that about the open record laws. Yeah. It's all very, um, private. (laughs) It's kind of the, like the, the opposite example would be a state like Florida where you can get any detail. You can get a police report and they're very detailed and you can get like body camera footage and all this stuff and emails between public officials and texts between public officials. And, and that's why you see so many detailed, like interesting, odd detailed stories from Florida, like classic, like Florida man stories, because they have access to all of that crime data. So just one example, but yeah, South Dakota is very hush hush. So interesting. Well, speaking of local, you started and you own a company called Sioux Falls Simplified. Can you talk a little bit about what Sioux Falls Simplified is, what you do? Yes. So Sioux Falls Simplified is a digital news outlet. I cover the Sioux Falls area. And right now the format is just a, a weekly newsletter. I'm hoping to expand that, of course. You know, I'm, I'm one year into this. But really what I am trying to do is create a different business model for local news and what's happening across the country. Are there a lot of people like me sort of 
stepping into entrepreneurship as a journalist. Um, And that's kind of intense and scary, but it's also, if you look at news, I mean, the the newspaper business model has been the same for like 150 years. So (laughs) it's kind of fun to try something different and to just say, Hey, if I put all this content out there for free, can I find some advertisers to back it up with like sponsored content? And can I find some people in the community willing to sort of foot the bill a little bit and, you know, kick in 10, 15 bucks a month and say, yeah, we support this. We want this in our community. So I think that there's so much distrust of media happening right now. Some of it warranted and some of it a bit blown out of proportion. If you ask me, (laughs) Um, you know, like with anything, I can totally see both sides to the equation, but I know that like a lot of my friends and family, like have that kind of distrust with like the major news outlets. And I, I get it. And I think that a lot of journalists are also kind of saying like, yeah, this model doesn't work for us anymore. Or like, we don't like being owned by these big news companies. And so they're kind of stepping out on their own. You saw that a lot with the pandemic with journalists doing like their own live reporting once a day or twice a day. And it was fascinating to watch. Yeah, totally. And I think Part of the mistrust is that this sort of media becomes this like unknown foreign entity. And what I'm really trying to do with Sioux Falls Simplified is say like, hey, I'm right here. (laughs) I live in Sioux Falls. I spent almost my entire life in South Dakota. I am like one of you. I am your neighbor. My kids go to, you know, the same daycare as yours. And like, we're all in this community and want it to be better. And so like what stories can I tell to help you one, just feel smarter so you can make good decisions about your community. And then two, just like feel connected and feel like, you know, when you're reading the news, you're reading the news written by your neighbor and not by somebody in DC or Virginia or wherever. So there are other, obviously, news outlets in Sioux Falls and and other independent journalists. So when you started Sioux Falls Simplified, what was the need that you really saw that you thought like, oh, I can fill that need? Like you talked about the business model and how that kind of needed to change and that was a driving factor. But what about the need when it just comes to like media consumption in general? Yeah, I think the biggest thing was just people need an easier way to stay informed. And that was the niche that I was really trying to fill is just saying, okay, here is the headline of what's happening. Here's the like one sentence summary, a little bit of like bullet pointed details on why it matters and what happens next and what you can do about it. And so I really wanted to be able to create the kind of news that I wanted to read Uh, I read, you know, the skim or Axios or morning brew is another one that a lot of people like, and that has helped me feel really smart on national things. And so I thought, wow, what if I could have someone, you know, doing that in Sioux Falls and I can be that person. So, so I'm like your, your friend that can make you feel smart at like the water cooler conversations in the office. That is a hundred percent what you do. And that like, I am, I'm your target demographic. I feel like, because I did like, I don't, I stopped watching the news during COVID. I don't really pick, I I don't pick up a newspaper. My husband will like read the headlines and he likes reading stories. And so he'll kind of report back to me, but like, it really triggers my anxiety because so much of it is really like fearful. 
and fear-mongering. And so I just stay away from it. But the downside to that, I mean, there are plenty, like I don't know as much as I should. And so I love like the format of Sioux Falls Simplified. So if, if you've gotten like the skim or morning brew before, it's very similar to that. And it's just like what you need to know. And I, oh, it's just, it's so nice to not read something and feel like dumber because you don't understand it. You know, that's the beauty of Sioux Falls Simplified. Like it's easy to understand. It's easy to digest. Yes. Thank you. That's my goal. And I also just felt like a lot of times I'd start reading a story and like, I'm a journalist. I've been a journalist in town for, you know, seven years at this point. And there were still days when I'd start reading a story and I'd be like, okay, wait, what was this thing about again? Like, what was the decision at city council? And so just to try to provide as much as I can, just like, here's like the like elevator pitch context that you need to understand this. So you don't feel dumb. Cause I, I think when people feel dumb, then they're not likely to take action about anything. And if it's easy and accessible to, to know what's going on, then, then you can take action and make your community better. So. Totally. So you started to fall simplified when your daughter, Margot was four months old. So like, there's some overlap there. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so she was, I was on maternity leave when I started like doing the research and the business planning. And then I left my job at the Argus leader when she was six months old. And I launched the business like a month and a half after that. So yeah, she was, Gosh. they're like Irish twins, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I, I struggle with asking questions about like, how do you juggle entrepreneurship and motherhood? Because I'm like, okay, would you ask that question to a man? However, there are like some very practical things that are happening in the first four months of life of a new baby that like are just quite simply different for men and women. That's a lot. Yeah, it was a lot of, um, it was a lot of like turning my camera off on a zoom call so I could like whip my boob out and nurse for a bit, you know, things like that where, where like, you know, just logistically it, it, we just made it work, but yeah, it was, it was a lot. It was bringing her to, you know, a school board meeting or (laughs) like just, just knowing, you know, having her crawling around and working on my laptop on the floor in her nursery so that she'd be entertained and I could like start, you know, building the website or figuring out what I'm going to do. <laughs> so, yeah. So how did that balance look like in the first couple of months, especially like, was it a, you know, partnership discussion between you and your husband? Was it daycare? Was it your parents? Like, how did you do it? Yeah. So definitely with my husband's support, that's like a piece that I feel like can't be left out because I couldn't have just quit my job and started something new without like one person being stable in our, (laughs) in our household. But I think, so when we started really part of the goal was just, you know, over maternity leave, I started to realize like, oh, I love being a mom and I don't want to miss this. And being a journalist, like I was so beholden to the news cycle. Like especially when she was born, I was an editor. And so, you know, I'm the person who gets a call at 8 PM when some, you know, politician tweets something dumb and like, I have to respond to it or, you know, I like, like I was constantly working. And so part of the appeal of starting my own business was being able to say, okay, I am going to publish once a week. And so, yes, that will still take a lot of time and energy. And yes, now I'm like learning how to wear the hat of 
also being my own accountant and also, you know, being responsible for the tech component and all of these things, but I can do it on my own time. And like, you know, I kind of joke that like news never sleeps, but toddlers do. So like I found out I could really get a lot done while she was at, like, while she was napping or, you know, if I can put the pieces together at, you know, 8 PM after she's in bed or something like that was super, super helpful. And really, I mean, as hard as being an entrepreneur is I have control over my schedule. And so I feel like I've had so much more time with her in the last two years than if I hadn't left my job. Totally. I think this is such a good example of like still being able to do the thing that you love, but doing it your own way. So you can have like the boundaries that are important to you, you know? Yes, absolutely. And like, not to say that that isn't difficult. And after about, so let's see, she would have been about eight months, seven, eight months when I launched by the time she turned one, I realized like you have to go to daycare. (laughs) So she started, she does She's part-time, but like still that gave me three days a week to just completely focus on working. And then on the days that she's home, like, yeah, I might still have a call or a meeting or something, you know, scheduled, but like I have time. Like I, I, I don't have to, you know, be sitting at a desk or be listening to a police scanner. Like I just can, you know, hang out with her or like go to the zoo on a Wednesday afternoon. And and that has been just absolutely amazing. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't necessarily where my kids are right now, like their ages currently, it's easier for me to get work done during like normal work hours. And we've got full-time daycare during the winter. Um, so that's obviously a huge part of it, but for a lot of years, especially like when I still had my day job and stuff, it was a lot of like fitting work in, in the gaps in like the areas where you could fit it in. And it, can be done. It's not to say that it's the easiest thing in the world. It's certainly not, but the beauty of entrepreneurship and probably even some flexible jobs is that you can send emails at night or schedule them for the next day or work on a project after the kids go to bed, you know, like that flexibility is really a game changer as a parent. Yeah. I think another thing it's really done is like, just shown me how efficient I can be. Mm. You know, going from like sitting and, and, you know, news is a little bit weird, but it was still a lot of days sitting at a desk from eight to five or whatever the hours were. And I, I'm realizing like, oh, I, you know, I maybe didn't need all of that time, you know, or you start to realize like all of the time that you spend at the office, like just, you know, screwing around on social media or whatever, or talking, you know, not that talking to people is a waste of time, but you know, you just kind of, I feel like I've learned just how much, you know, when it comes down to it, okay, I have 90 minutes to get this task done. It's done. Like Mm -hmm. you you can do it. So. Yeah. I read something probably years ago about how like the task that you have will expand to fill the space that you have. And motherhood, parenthood has really opened my eyes to that. Cause I think you're, you're spot on. And I think that that's kind of a theme of just like how America treats work in general. Like there is so much space in a normal Monday through Friday, eight to five day where like, you're not heads down cranking out a ton of work. Like you're, you're just not. Yeah, absolutely. And even, I mean, even some days on the days that she's at daycare, I'm like, okay, I should be like, focus, 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 focus. And then it's like, well, I have until like five to get her. And totally. I could totally watch last night's episode of the bachelor and no one would know. And 
So, you know, there's still a little grace for that too, but, but it is, I mean, I, I feel like it's, it's been cool. And something that I'm proud of myself for is just figuring out how efficient I can be and how I can, you know, get things done in the time that I have. Yeah. So how does it work? I, when I left my job, one of the things that I struggled with the most was like holding myself accountable to getting the work done, which as an Enneagram three, I was like, this is surprising. Like (laughs) maybe I'm not as driven as I thought I was because you like suddenly have all this space and flexibility. So I'm curious how that went from you, like working in a newsroom where like you have hard deadlines to working for yourself where you still have deadlines, but maybe they're a bit more fluid. Like talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I didn't realize how much of a procrastinator I was and continue to be, um, (laughs) which I am continuing to work with and learn to deal with about myself, but it, it is just setting deadlines for myself. And like, I don't know, I'm with you on the Enneagram three thing. Like I, I know that I'm a hard worker. I know that I like want things to be done and done right. But I, there's something about like, I, I had that same sort of question of like, what is the wrong with me? Why can't I just yeah. do this all the time? <laughs> why do I like, why am I having such a hard time sending this stupid email that would take two seconds? So what I think has helped me a lot is just like giving myself here's what I will accomplish today. And then giving myself like tiny rewards, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So, so it's usually as simple as like, you know, okay. Um, if I get this done, then like, I'll have time to, you know, take the family on a walk later, or, you know, we'll have time to cook dinner together. And like, knowing that like, if I get this done, if I don't get this done, I'll miss that time. And like, that makes me sad. Mm-hmm. Um, on like the nights that I really have to get my newsletter done. Sometimes I'll just get like a, like a Reese's peanut butter cup or something. I'll be like, okay, you get this done. You get this peanut butter cup, like do it. <laughs> and like, So I treat myself much like my toddler, um, <laughs> tiny candy rewards for good behavior. But no, I think the other thing is just breaking things up into small pieces. I feel like entrepreneurs talk about that a ton of just yeah. like, okay, I want to get, you know, all these subscribers and all these advertisers and blah, 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 blah. And then it's like, okay, well now I'm overwhelmed and I just want to sit down and take a nap, but working backwards saying like, okay, well, if I want, you know, 5,000 subscribers this year, how many is that this week? And what can I do to do that? And, um, what tools do I have? And, you know, how many calls do I have to make to get an advertiser to sign with me? Okay. Well then how many should I do right now? Like I can make a phone call today. That's not so bad. So I think the little, little things make it less scary that that's helped me a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You talked a little bit at the beginning of our conversation about like the fact that you're in the community and able to kind of translate these stories for people to read them, digest them more easily and that you're in the community and like experiencing all those things, um, that that was like a, a big benefit to essentially like what you can do to help Sioux Falls. So I'm curious, and I know you and I have talked a little bit about this offline too, but how do you balance the idea of a personal brand in what you do? Because in the way that I see it so much of like how you're able to connect with the people who you're interviewing and the people you want to be sponsors, like you have to be Megan, but when you're telling stories and when you're trying to be this unbiased news resource, you kind of can't be Megan. So like, how does that work? Yeah. 
That is the million dollar question. Um, <laughs> if I solve this, I'll be like the best journalist ever or something. <laughs> I think it is such an interesting thing to think about, especially with the rise of all these like private journalists. Cause so many of them, I love following because of them, but I also depend on them to be an unbiased news resource. It's like really tricky. Yeah. I think the biggest thing that I try to do is just be as transparent as possible, right? Like I live in this community. I have to make decisions about living in this community. Like that means like at some point I'll have to pick a school where Margot goes. And I also cover schools as a journalist. So like, I think the best course of action is just to say, Hey, here's like my kid goes here, (laughs) you know, and maybe it's as simple as just, I feel pretty comfortable just putting that in stories and just saying at the top, like, Hey, listen, like my kid's a student here, just so you know, like Mm -hmm. that there's, you know, I think it's impossible to, to say like, I'll remove every possible bias from my reporting because I just like, I am a human being. And I appreciate that. I think journalism in general, we're getting a little bit better about saying like, look, I'm not gonna, like, I'm, I'm not here to tell you how to vote or anything like that. Like I'm not in, you know, there, there are certain things where I, I draw very firm lines of like, I, I don't discuss, you know, political affiliations. I don't have a political affiliation, right? Like if you look at my voter registration, it's just nothing. So, um, so things like that are like still very clean cut and like with advertising and, you know, the, the sponsored stories I do, I just try to be as clear as possible. Like, Hey, I'm getting paid to write this story and it's helping fund all those other stories that you like. So that's what that's all about. And I also think like in terms of the brand question is tricky, right? Cause I, I want to be established as like a knowledgeable, like sort of authority journalistically, but I also want people to like, feel, you know, cool and comfortable around me and, and feel like, Hey, yeah, she's relatable or like, Oh, this is cool. Like we can chat or I can bring you story ideas or, you know, most importantly, I can like feel comfortable saying, Hey, I think you messed up on this. Like let's chat. So, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think the more that I get out there and have conversations with people, the better that gets. And like, just Mm -hmm. the more people that know me, then, you know, even if they have a problem with something that I've written, hopefully then they'll be able to say, okay, well, let's unpack this. And then, you know, I'm not, you know, completely infallible over here. Like I want to be able to like build that trust. And part of building trust is, you know, one being present to, acknowledging when things don't go like they should. And then like, I don't know, I think just continuing to be transparent. It's a, it's a lot, but yeah. <laughs> it's such so, a tightrope. You can hear even in my like ramblings that it's such a tightrope. I just think about is. it all the time. Well, and that's why I think it's just, it's a interesting conversation and not one where there's like a takeaway or a right answer. It's just really interesting to think about and something that you would have to be very aware of constantly. Yes. And I even think about like, sometimes I'll post an Instagram story. Like I'm working remotely and I'll like be at, you know, a local coffee shop or something. And I'll think like, Oh gosh, are the other coffee shops going to be mad that I posted about this? Like, should I not? So (laughs) yeah. I mean, I could, I could totally see where your mind would go there. Totally. But, but, but at the end of the day, it's like, come on, man. Like we've all been, you know, we've all been to different coffee shops or different, you know, I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to separate. It's hard yeah. to turn off that anxiety piece in my brain too of like, what are people going to think about me? <laughs> totally. 
So is there, have there been, obviously you've been doing this for about a little over a year. Mm -hmm. Okay. So have there been any instances at this point where you had like maybe an issue where you were like, Oh, I don't think that was as transparent enough. I need to clarify something. Or maybe someone even like called you out and you were like, Oh my gosh, that's not what I intended. Like any instances like that, that you can talk about. Yeah. So really early on, like one of my first issues, I think I had sort of set up in my head how I wanted everything to look, especially with like the, the sponsored content to say, you know, a line at the top of the story that says, this is a paid piece. And in the sort of, you know, frenzy of being new at something and, and just wanting to get things out there. One of the first sponsored stories I published, like right away, didn't have that line in there. And someone emailed me and was like, this looks like a sponsored piece, but it doesn't say it is. And it was just that like shock of like, oh my gosh, like I said it in the newsletter, but then I posted it on, you know, my website and it, it got lost in translation. And, you know, it was just that like, oh my gosh, you're right. Like, thank you for one. Thank you for pointing that out. I'm, you know, two, that sucks that that happened and it shouldn't have. And so like, I'm going to, you know, I think, I think I got so freaked out by it that now I'm like, you know, it's one of those things where you make the mistake once and it's like, okay, I'm not going to let this happen again. Like that, that was not fun to feel that way. Totally. Um, But it was also like, kind of nice to have that, you know, even just an email exchange where I was like, thank you for pointing this out. Like, you know, they were kind of like initially really upset. You could hear it in the tone. And then I wrote an apology that was like, Hey, this is fixed now. You know, I'm, I'm new with this. I'm still kind of figuring out what goes where and all these moving pieces. And, you know, just sort of that like humanizing aspect where like at the end of the conversation, I think we were both like, you were right to be upset. I am a human being who made a mistake. The mistake has been fixed. I think we're good. Yeah. (laughs) That's all you can do. Yeah. Yeah. Mistakes like that are so hard and it's very difficult for me not to like internalize that and feel shame around it and all of those things. And yet at the same time, that is such a universal experience to be like, oh man, I really effed that up. Like, I'm not going to do that again. Yes. And it just, I think it honestly, like, I know I've talked about building trust a couple of times, but like, I think like, yes, I made that mistake. And yes, there's, you know, someone out there who could be like, well, we can't trust anything you put out there now, but I hope that by, you know, admitting to things like that, and there've been a couple other, like, you know, in news, it's, it's not terribly uncommon to have like a detail wrong and then have to run a correction for it. And like the times, you know, I had one week where I just ran a couple of corrections and it was like, oh man, this is so frustrating. And like getting a number wrong in a story is so frustrating, but it was such a good opportunity to like come on Instagram and be like, Hey, I messed up this week here's how I'm going to fix it. And like, just so you know, here's my policy on this. And like, here's, you know, here's how I plan to handle any future mistakes too. Mm -hmm. I think with anything like that, how it's handled says so much more about the person and about the situation than the initial mistake, because mistakes happen. And while sometimes I think they will be met with not necessarily kindness, depending on who receives them. And like, that's bound to happen too. Most of the time, like, I can't think of a situation where if someone apologized or if someone like took care of it, where I wasn't like more impressed with them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think the more that I can just convey, like, I am just a human being Mm -hmm. trying to live in this community and like journalism is my job, but it's not some like 
there's not some like higher conspiracy to it, right? Like it's just me sitting at a computer. Like I'm going to make mistakes every now and then. Yeah. There isn't some, you know, we're not allowed to get you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So last question, what has been your favorite part about entrepreneurship so far? Oh my gosh. I feel like I could write like a Shakespearean sonnet about all of the things <laughs> I love about entrepreneurship. It's so, so fun. And also so just hard and <laughs> <laughs> yes. And yes, <laughs> it's the best and worst thing that's ever happened. To me. Um, <laughs> no, I think my favorite, my favorite part has just been building something that I am really proud of and seeing that thing helping people, like seeing the community respond and say, Hey, we like what you're doing. Um, either, you know, just by like reaching out and saying something or by, you know, contributing money or sharing it or whatever, but like, it means so much. Every time I see someone like comment on something on Facebook or share a post or, you know, whatever, it just, I, it's, continually, continually validating and like, like just fulfilling to see that what I like to do is meaningful. (laughs) Absolutely. Megan, thank you so much for joining me today. Can you tell everyone how they can um, follow you, how they can subscribe to Sioux Falls Simplified as well? Yes, absolutely. Um, You can follow me on SF Simplified on pretty much all the platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, it's just sfsimplified.com and you can subscribe for free to feel smart and good about where you live. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to Take It Personally. If you're a regular listener, you might already know that some of the best conversations actually happen after the show. Head over to Facebook and search Take It Personally podcast to join our private Facebook group and join the conversation. We'll also put the link in the show notes. And if you haven't already, would you head over to iTunes and leave us a review? This is the best way to let other people know about the show and help us to keep creating content you love. You can also head to takeitpersonallypodcast.com for all the show notes from today's episode and past episodes. Thanks so much for listening. See you next week.